When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here with my co-host, my homie, A to Z Sports writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. Zach and I talk about everything balls. And if you want to listen to that regularly, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Spotify and Apple and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. If you do subscribe, you won't miss our episodes when we drop them on Mondays, except for next week when we drop them on a Tuesday. More on that in a second. But go over also to the YouTube page and subscribe there. Not only will you get the amazing other content that A to Z puts out, but you will obviously get this podcast and specifically... You'll be able to watch the podcast live at 4 p.m. on Mondays when we live stream, as we are doing right now, as people pour in to hang out with us. You can be one of those people. I think uh, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, uh, A to Z Sports.com, A to Z Facebook.com, slash A to Z Sports Nashville. Uh, I think that's it. All right. Let's get down to business. Next week, I'll say this right off the top just so everybody knows, next week with this live stream, um, no show on Monday, but a show on Tuesday uh, because next Monday is December 26th. And for us, uh, that is going to be a day off because I said so. That's I run the show and we're not doing it that day. So <laughs> I got stuff to do and uh, it's the day after Christmas. Uh, bo- boxing day am i making that up i think that's right the day after christmas um and so no show next monday but the show will be tuesday at 4 p.m same uh same time just a day later and we'll get to the preview of the bowl game it's almost here zach the orange bowl right around the corner oh boy um it's oh here it's oh lewis is in the uh, chat insulting us already. Here's the thing, Lewis. I'm going to block you, and then that's going to block you from all the other shows, too. That should be fun. Bye. Bye, Lewis. Don't come into my show and insult me right off the top. Um, okay. So, Lewis is gone. That's cool. He's a Vandy fan, so it doesn't really matter. Oh. Um, Tennessee prepping for the bowl game. The practices started this week. We're going to talk about it, but I think the thing that everyone wants to talk about, people are already mentioning it in the comments. Thanks to everybody who's watching. Nico Yel Maliava is here. We got uh, a little bit, a very little bit <laughs> of video footage of him throwing with the team. Uh, but it's not just him. It's it's a whole set of dudes from the, the 2023 recruiting class that are here and practicing with the team. And it's uh, a, a really cool thing that's new to this season. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about basketball 
came up short at Arizona. As Zach and I actually predicted, we kind of said it just felt like a game that was going to be really tough to win, and, and Tennessee came up just short. They had the shots and didn't make them. We'll talk about that. And uh, also, we'll mention a new transfer commit to Tennessee, an offensive lineman commits an offensive lineman from Texas. He goes from the fake UT to the real UT. Uh, so good for him. We'll talk about that too. But before we get to all of that, I got to tell you, as always, about our amazing sponsor, Superbook Sports. Can you beat Vegas this football season? Superbook Sports gives you the chance each and every week to go head-to-head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms. No guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. Download the Superbook Sports app or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. Go download that app. And you can, uh, if you're one of these folks, you can bet on this, uh, the Orange Bowl, the Tennessee Clemson Orange Bowl. Um, go over there, bet on it. And uh, I, I've said before, I'm... I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. I don't bet on Tennessee uh, unless it's, you know, something minor. And if you are one of those people that does, though, super book, go over there, download it. Now let's get to it. Nico in town. He's in Knoxville. This is uh, a a big development because it almost felt like like he committed but it feels like that was really recently and still, and it kind of was, I mean, it was just right before the football season actually kicked off. This kid is already on campus practicing with the team with a bunch of other guys. And this is great. Uh, Zach, what's up, man? Yeah, it's nice to actually see him out there finally and knowing that he's, you know, at Tennessee and learning the offense, valuable reps right now, getting in these extra practices. And the dude just look, I mean, you saw the videos and pictures of him. He's not nearly as skinny as people thought he was. Uh, I mean, he can obviously stand to put some weight on his frame. He's a bigger guy than I think people realize. And man, the ball coming out of his hand, he's got zip. We've, you know, we've seen videos of him throwing in high school. We know he's got good touch. So really excited about the physical tools he has. Um, speaking of physical tools, he's a more physical runner too. If you see some of his high school highlights, I mean, he didn't shy away from contact. He went right at it. Obviously, some of those dudes were not nearly as big as the SEC linebackers and DBs that he'll be facing at Tennessee. But you can certainly see why he's a five-star, why he's the number two overall player in the 2023 recruiting class. If not for Arch Manning having a famous last name, maybe he's the number one guy. Uh, So much hype. I feel bad for the kid because he does have to live up to all this hype that we're putting on him. But it feels like he's got a good head on his shoulders. I mean, first day he accidentally steps on the tee in the locker room. A family member posted a video of him doing the push-ups. Thank goodness he did the push-ups because we all know kind of the, the Jeremy Banks story there that happened before the, the South Carolina game, which made that video a, a little strange to watch. But at the same time, doesn't take himself too seriously. Like, hey, I did it. Does the push-ups, gets it out of the way. So I think he's uh, – and obviously his – if you saw the the tweet that his family member posted, I mean, they were – they were giving him a hard time, kind of giving him a hard time about being a five-star and how all that doesn't matter once you're on campus. So I think the environment he's grown up in, uh, the way his parents have raised him, he's going to have the right approach to live up to the hype that we're all putting on him. Uh, it sure seems that way. And that's 
at least a great place to start because when, when a kid has as much hype as he does, it always scares me. I mean, it is just a lot of pressure to put on dude is 18 years old, just came out of high school. I mean, I think back <laughs> to what I was like in high school <laughs> and obviously Nico has taken a different trajectory than I did. You know, my final semester of, or my final year of high school, it was like, get the minimum ACT score to get into UT, get into UT and then absolutely coast from there. Like that was my goal. I was like, do the least amount possible. All right. We got into UT. I'm done. <laughs> and so he, you know, Nico's living a different life. He's out here doing TV appearances. He comes to Knoxville is an immediate celebrity. People are on the street asking for his autograph, doing all these things. He's obviously been the leader of his football team uh, and has kind of learned as far as that goes on a high school setting. And now it is always really interesting to see because when you get on the practice field as a freshman, it's kind of the great equalizer. They don't care about your stars. They don't care where you came from. You're a freshman. In You've fact, done nothing. They, there's that much hype. They probably want to prove you wrong or not really exactly. prove you wrong, but they want to test you. I mean, if you're his teammate, obviously you want to see him succeed, but they want to test him. They want to welcome him to the sec and show him how it's going to be and show him what he's going to face, you know, kind of, throw him into the fire and, and see how he does. So it, it everybody, he's going to get everybody's best, even in practice right now. Absolutely. And you, I, I honestly love that this is a new thing that they can come to these bowl practices and do this because you're getting your feet wet right now at a time. That's this sort of transitory, weird, like we're going to play this game that matters, but it really doesn't. And like it, you know, it, it's really just sort of this reward for a good season that you get to go to. It's kind of like a hybrid and, between fall camp and game prep week, really. Exactly. Because you get to do kind of see both ends of that. And and before this was implemented and, and these new guys were allowed to go to bowl practices, it was you had to come in in the spring, which is still good. You're coming in early. You get spring and you get fall camp. And that's cool. It's It's a lot of extra practices. But still... Spring is purely like we're getting set. We're learning who this team is and we're, you know, it's, it's season prep, even in the spring. And they, and sometimes that can be overwhelming here. It almost feels like, yeah, it's sort of this half measure where it's like sort of spring practice, but also you're, you're really in, you're prepared for a game and they're going to get to see that. And I think that's going to be awesome. And they're getting their feet wet in a way that they wouldn't be able to before. Uh, and and actually see game prep and all this stuff. I think that's awesome, and I, I I hope that it translates into them just being that much more comfortable when spring comes along, and even more comfortable when fall ball comes along. I mean, I I don't want to make some kind of prediction like, oh, it's going to make Nico be prepared to be the Vols' starting quarterback come August next year. But uh, I I think it can do nothing but help outside of you know, God forbid somebody gets an injury or something. I, I think it could do nothing but help. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody's going to try to anoint him as the guy that should be the starter, at least not yet. I mean, maybe once you get through spring practice and maybe you hear some reports about Milton or if Milton has a bad game in the, in the orange bowl against Clemson, maybe some of those conversations happen, but even best case scenario, you looked at Trevor Lawrence a few years ago. I think it's the best example of a true freshman coming in, making an impact. He didn't start immediately. Dabo stuck with Kelly Bryant there for a little while. And that was questioned quite a bit, but I think Dabo was probably wise to not throw Lawrence out there 
uh, uh, too quickly. And Lawrence was as prepared as any true freshman quarterback we've seen. I mean, and he's he's playing well in the NFL right now with a the franchise that hasn't been that great the last few years. So he's obviously extremely talented player. So at best, you know, you hope Nico is another Trevor Lawrence type guy. Even Lawrence wasn't starting from day one. So I don't think anybody should try to throw that on Nico or uh, suggest that anything's went wrong if he doesn't end up starting in in 2023. Hopefully he doesn't. I mean, you hope Joe Milton has taken that next step and has an amazing year and goes off and is a high NFL draft pick. I mean, that would be the ideal scenario. And then Nico takes over as a redshirt freshman or a sophomore in 2024. I mean, that's what you want to see. But Either way, like you said, it's nice to have him there, getting the practices in, getting prepped, seeing how Tennessee does things. That way, when he does come back for spring, he hits the ground running. There is no getting acclimated. He's immediately getting into their, you know, whatever they're doing in the spring, installing new offense maybe or new style of offense, not style of offense, but, you know, different aspects of the offense to, to match the personnel that they'll have next season. He can dive right into that and not have to worry about, oh, how do I practice? Where do I go? What do I do? He's going to know all that because he's going to have these – two weeks worth of practices for this bowl game. I, I think it is uh, huge in it's huge in context. Like as I, as I mentioned, is it going to make him ready to be that starting quarterback? I don't think so. You're talking about it there. It's such a daunting task to be a starting quarterback in the, in the sec it takes a lot of prep and, and to get in the right mindset and to be ready for that. I it just generally speaking, it takes an older guy. It just does. And, but I think it's hard with it, this offense too to just throw yes. somebody out there. I mean, that's one thing about Joe Milton. Look, we haven't seen him start. We saw him start against Vanderbilt. That game was kind of weird because of the weather. There's lots of running. Uh, it, it wasn't a good game to kind of judge him off of. So people tend to judge him based off that Bowling Green and Pittsburgh game last year. I mean, he was new in that offense at the time. Uh, him and Hendon Hooker both. They hadn't been around it a lot. The staff was new. They're all learning to work together. The situation that Joe Milton was in the, the beginning of 2021 is not the same situation that he'll be in in this bowl game and going into next season. He's much more comfortable in the offense. He's been around this coaches. He knows what he's doing a little more. He's more confident as a leader. We heard uh, Jacob Warren, tight end for Tennessee, say that this past week, that, that, that Milton has grown as a leader tremendously, that he's just more vocal in the huddle. He's just, you know, he's learned from Hendon Hooker. He, he's going to be a better leader and I think we'll see a better Joe Milton because of that now obviously the overthrows and stuff like that is still a concern but as far as having a command of the offense and leading everybody and having everybody where they need to be I think you're going to see a much different Milton uh, than you did last year and say that to talk about Nico it takes some time to get comfortable in this offense and everybody's got to be on the same page you have to build that chemistry part of why Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt worked so well this year Almost every time, Hyatt was exactly where Hooker thought he was going to be. They were always on the same page. That kind of chemistry is not built overnight. So Nico's going to have to build that, too, with some of the young wide receivers there at Tennessee. Yeah, and any of that just takes the while. It, you can't <laughs> you can't just by osmosis put that in a kid's head. Experience. You can't, you can't just give him that without him actually having the experience. And that's what this gives these young guys. Now it's not just Nico. Let's also bring this up. I actually had you, I, you, you got me a, a list of all of the players that are there. Some of the other big names that I think folks are excited about in this class that are here for the bowl practices. Uh, Nathan Leacock, Laycock. I've heard it both ways. 
um, a wide receiver that I think a lot of people are, are pretty hyped about. Sham Umaroff, the coolest name in this new class that's coming in. Uh, did uh, you did you see the story about him and his recruitment? The Athletic uh, put out there. I tweeted out the little photo of what they said about that. I don't think so. So they, it was like this kind of behind the scenes look at recruiting and they they talked about how kirby smart flew into his high school in a helicopter and went through this whole mm. spill about kirby smart show you know surprising everybody being a big deal the helicopters landing on the football field all this stuff and at the very end Boy. it's like 2023 tennessee commit shamumer off it's like <laughs> all that kirby you still didn't get him and of course if you go back and look at that tweet some Georgia fans in the uh, mentions talking about how well kirby didn't really want him he's barely a top 300 player you don't land your helicopter on the football field unless you want the guy to commit to Georgia. So you're not wasting those resources. You're going to use your time to see somebody else. So, yeah, no, Tennessee got him over Georgia. It's like those Alabama fans with Arian Carter last yeah. week. Oh, so we, we didn't want him anyway. It was somebody, somebody in the comments on our YouTube video last week, uh, I think unironically, uh, said something like, um, I wonder if Alabama was just chasing Arian Carter to be inconvenient to Tennessee, to be, to like jerk around Tennessee. I'm like, what, what do you think recruiting is in college football? They're going to do this. They're going to decoy recruit Arian Carter just to screw with Tennessee. What are you talking about? Austin Price from Valquist said that, uh, I believe he said that like, Alabama's defensive coordinator Pete Golding was calling him up until the last minute. Might have even said he was at his school and, and trying to get in to see him before he committed. I saw people I mean, posting that on Twitter. I think that's originated from Austin Price is where that came from. That that's a lot of trouble to go through for a guy that you don't really want. <laughs> I so. mean, if that if he really came to the school on the day of the commitment and was still calling up to that point, yeah. I, I hope sure. that's true because that would be the ultimate win for Josh Heupel. I wish that was a there was a more public story about exactly what went down on that uh, because that would be a huge. I mean, if I was Tennessee, I'd want that out there for sure. Yeah, Ab- yeah, yes. Alabama's defensive coordinator showing up, trying to you know beating on the door to try to get in the school, and they're just like waving at him, like no, no, not today. You do have to think like Pete. I think Pete Golding was. Um, his seat was a little hot after this uh, regular season. I would put it that way. I mean, gave up five touchdowns to Tennessee uh, to one player. Um, but yeah, you got to wonder if if Saban was almost like, "Go get this kid," or <laughs> "You're already, you know, you're already in the doghouse. Go get him, or else." Uh, who knows? Um, I, I'll I'll respond to the comments here just for the folks that are watching. John Hill asks, "Who do you think has the advantage at QB for the bowl game?" We're going to talk about that in just a second because Taven Jackson reportedly back at practice and it kind of maybe shifts around Tennessee's QB situation a little bit. Not that Taven Jackson is going to play, but that it might change the way they call plays for Joe Milton. We'll talk about that in just a second, just to respond to some comments, sort of preview what's coming up. Uh, but to finish this conversation about the the new guys coming in, there are some guys here that I wish w- would just play in the ball game. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think primary among them, Jordan Matthews, uh, Ricky Gibson, Christian Conyer. I mean, Lord knows Tennessee needs as many defensive backs as they can possibly get out on that football field. And it's going to be a ragtag group out there in this bowl game. Um, but otherwise, uh, Vice and Lang was a notable name. Caleb Herring, his, his brother is already on the team. 
Um, and, and Aaron Carter is there too. The kid that committed last week, uh, supposedly that was part of the reason why he committed is because he was going to be able to participate in the bowl practices for Tennessee. And, um, that was an exciting prospect for him. Uh, and so he committed, I think earlier than he was supposed to, to Tennessee so that he could be, uh, in involved. So I bottom line out of this discussion, I think this is excellent just gets these guys prepared even that much quicker. They're going to have the ground uh, the, the ground floor kind of set. Then they go into spring ball. And by the time the fall ball comes around, they'll have experienced a decent amount of practices, like a pretty good amount of time around this team in a practice setting and even in a game preparation setting. And to be able to see that before you ever even really have a second as a player on this, you know, a, a real player on this roster, so to speak, like where you're eligible to play in a game. I think that's amazing. So I love this and hopefully it, it just helps with the development with all these guys. It, but just if only, I mean, could we just get Jordan Matthews out there available? I mean, is that too much to ask that they could just add that rule in there that these guys could just go ahead and play. Um, yeah. But any with the young guys playing Zach, anything else that you wanted to bring up about that? I just wonder how much it like, and this isn't a huge deal, but I do wonder how it kind of behind the scenes, how it changes your, your coaching approach. If you're an assistant coach at Tennessee, because you're trying to mix in bowl prep, a game that look technically, it doesn't mean anything, but Tennessee really wants to win this game. Clemson does too. Yeah. I mean, this isn't going to be a Clemson team that shows up unmotivated because they're not playing in the playoff. I mean, they, they have reverence for the, the new year six bowl games. I've seen it from the way Clemson's players have talked about it. They haven't had a lot of opt-outs. Fortunately, neither has Tennessee, except for Hyatt and Tillman, which we kind of expected. They badly want to win this game, but you're also trying to acclimate these guys into your program, and you cannot coach them, or you can't expect them to be on the same page as everybody else. So you got to take a little more time with them. I don't know if it puts more responsibilities on the GAs. You've also lost an assistant coach, Alex Adolish, going to USF. He took a couple of analysts with him. That's less guys there to help out people that were important to the program. Uh, so I do wonder kind of behind the scenes how that how that works, how that impacts everything. Uh, be an interesting question. Maybe to ask uh, Hype or some of the assistants during, during the bowl prep week next week in Miami. Definitely. Um, they haven't allowed much media coverage at mm. all. Um, and they, they shut down practices during the season. They're not open during the actual football season and in the technical sense, they are still in the football season. Um, but you, I mean, the amount of time that they got to see these guys practice, I mean, we were taught, ne neither of us were able to be there for that practice session, but we obviously we've covered the team in the past, both of us and kind of know what happens in those. And we kind of figured they maybe saw 15 minutes at most of <laughs> of this team with the newcomers and everything. So, I mean, it's extremely limited. You saw like the videos that came out. They were from a bunch of different guys from different angles, but they were all of the same reps because everybody just got to see that little snippet of, of Nico throwing the ball or Joe throwing the ball or whatever it might've been. Yeah. They um, only, they only opened like three periods at the beginning of practice, which you know is just stretching and, and a little bit of throwing that you saw. Yeah. And that was Saturday. That's the only practice that had any media viewing or availability. They practiced Sunday. There was no media at all. They were off today. They practiced tomorrow. Or maybe they were off Sunday and they practiced today is what it was. 
Uh, they practice tomorrow. Defense coordinator Tim Banks will speak to the reporters, but there's no no media viewing for the practice. There's no viewing on Wednesday or Thursday either. I think Josh Heupel will speak on Wednesday and talk about the the enrollees that came in this past week because he didn't really want to talk about them on Saturday when he spoke to the media. But they just had that one little session open, and I'm I'm pretty confident that was so they could let you know get some of those videos of Nico out there, let that hype build a little bit. People want to see it. I get it. Uh, I wanted to see it. So I think that's the only reason they even had that open. Because like you said, during the season, they close it uh, right right at the end of fall camp. They close practices where nobody gets in. And that's been kind of standard operating procedure under Josh Heupel since he's arrived at Tennessee. And you know that's how he wants to do things. Like me and you were talking about, it's almost a benefit if you're a reporter because you go to these practices and you don't really get to see a whole lot, but you're kind of obligated to go and see what's happening and be there on campus and be around. Uh, if, if it's closed, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. It can be borderline completely useless at those it's really for I mean, it's really for B-roll for, for television stations yeah. to roll behind their reports and, and photos, photography. I mean, that that's the main reason that any of the periods are open. Most of the information that you see out there coming from reporters isn't necessarily stuff that they're able to tell from those practices. It's stuff that they get told from sources. I mean, that that's kind of where that stuff comes from. Yeah, they they talk to GAs. They talk to maybe a assistant coach, you know, a position coach, and and get sort of information that way. It just it is what it is at this point. I mean, that's very common across college football. Yeah, pretty um, much everybody operates that way. I don't think many. Yeah places i don't think anywhere really any major program has these open practices like you you kind of get in the nfl during training camp where you can see whatever you see the fights there are no secrets you see everything that goes on which honestly that transparency would eliminate a lot of rumors a ton of rumors a ton of speculation uh but they're very secretive they think uh they think somebody's gonna find out something on them i'll, I'll never forget i think i was having oh, by the way i do i do know like coaches opposing coaches do pay attention to what's happening in these other teams practices and their media availabilities. Yeah. I wondered that at one point during the season, I think I even brought it up and I had somebody not, not an on-field coach, but I had somebody on the Tennessee staff message me towards the end of the season. I can't remember which week it was, but they were asking for a press conference video of the opposing uh, team that Tennessee was playing that week. I think it might've been the Missouri week. Uh, so they're, they're paying attention. Uh, they're, they're oh, watching yeah. things. I mean, I, I'll always remember I was having this conversation with a group of reporters when I was still doing that full time. And I, I want to say it was Jimmy Himes that was standing there. It might have been Brent Hubbs. I, I don't remember. But whoever it was, they were like, yeah, I remember with Fulmer in the 90s, we used to be able to watch the in entire practice always. And we were a lot better back then. So... <laughs> And I, that's always stuck with me where it's like they try to protect this and be super secretive and all this stuff. And it's like, well, back when you could watch the whole practice, Tennessee was actually a lot better. Thankfully, this season that is finally a double digit win season has has arrived back at Tennessee. Thank God. Uh, but that's sorry. We're getting in the weeds, a little inside baseball there in terms of covering the team. Uh, a little bit of extra news here with recruiting. Um you had first a decommitment uh, from Tennessee. Didn't love seeing this, but from the things I read and saw, this wasn't wholly unexpected. Sylvester Smith, um, four-star kid, I believe from 
uh, from Alabama. Yeah, he's from Alabama. D commits from Tennessee, commits to Auburn. I mean, Lord, after going on a visit to Auburn, and I mean, who knows if this was all he already wanted to do this? Money changed hands, maybe. Who who knows? Just it's all speculation. Who knows? Um, but from the things that I saw of recruiting reporters, they were like, yeah, this kid was already kind of on the rocks and this just the visit to Auburn just sent him to Auburn. But does this concern you for this recruiting class? It's really been shaping up. It, it is still, even with the loss of Sylvester Smith, still number nine on two, four, seven sports, the number nine class in America. But does this concern you? No, it doesn't concern me because these things do happen. I mean, players decommit from, from top programs all the time. I mean, Oregon just lost a five-star quarterback. That's the kind of thing you get. That's the kind of thing you get concerned about. You know, Dante Moore heading to UCLA, which is kind of a surprise. The kid's from Alabama. Maybe it's a situation where Brian Harson was there and he committed and, like, Hugh Freeze is there now, so he takes a second look, decides that's kind of where he wants to be. We really won't know for a couple of years if it's a big deal or not. And Tennessee fans were kind of reminded of that this weekend because I don't know if you remember two years ago when Kamar Wilcoxon – uh, committed to Tennessee back during the COVID summer. He comes out, he's re- he's recruiting for Tennessee, talking all this stuff about going to bring a bunch of recruits with him, and he's locked in. He's not going anywhere else. He's not visiting anywhere else. Two months later, he decommits from Tennessee and, and ends up at Florida. He's been at Florida three years and hasn't has like five tackles during his whole time there. And this was a four-star guy that everybody was super excited about. Just announced uh, this weekend that he's transferring to Temple uh, to continue his college career. You you just don't know how these guys are going to pan out. You, Never. you don't know. And it's hard to get – you don't want to get too high or too low about these commits. Like, you get excited. You obviously – the more four-star and five-star guys you land, the better you're going to be. The odds are in your favor that you're going to be successful. But just because it's a four-star guy doesn't mean he's going to be great. Uh, so, so, Sylvester Smith – I don't know. I mean, he could be all SEC. He could never start at Auburn. I mean, we'll just have to see. So it'll be a while before we really know the impact. But as far as one guy decommitting, I mean, it happens. I mean, it's just, especially in this NIO world. I mean, that adds a whole yeah. other layer to it. So it's it's part of it. And I, I will say of the hire of Hugh Freeze at Auburn, Tennessee tends to recruit against Auburn a, a pretty decent amount. Um, and Hugh Freeze being at Auburn compared to Harson is a problem. Because Freeze is a snake, and he, I mean, Lord knows, look at what he did at Ole Miss. You know that he's ruthless as a recruiter, and he'll, and in no way do I believe that he's reformed or does he, I, I hope he's reformed his personal life with the, the hookers and all that stuff. I, I hope for his wife's sake that's the case. I don't know. But as, as far as if you want to win in SEC football, I, I think an Auburn fan better be hoping he's not reformed. I will put it that way. <laughs> Because I I always say, big time college football is a snake pit. If you want to win, you got to be a viper. And that guy, there's a reason he won a bunch of games at Ole Miss. And so now you're having to recruit against him. It did. It seemed like it was already kind of going that way, even with Harson, um, with Sylvester Smith, and and Freeze just kind of took it over the top. How whatever he did, I'm not making any accusations. I don't know. And and honestly, with NIL at this point, it can be legal to bring a kid in and be like, hey, we'll set you up this way compared to Tennessee setting you up this way. And that can convince somebody who knows. Um, but uh, that's exactly at the end of the day, these things happen. It just is part of recruiting and Tennessee. 
you know, you got to go out there and fill that need. I mean, obviously at safety, that's a, <laughs> it's a particularly tough loss because it's a position that you really, you really need guys at, at this point. Um, but I, maybe this is even more of an urging for Tennessee to go to the transport for portal, um, this off season and seek out defensive backs, maybe not, obviously that's for them to decide, but, um, on that note, Tennessee got a transfer commitment from an offensive lineman from the University of Texas. And Zach, we weren't completely sure how to pronounce this guy's name, but we're going to try. I believe Andre Carrick or Carrich, uh, one of the two. I didn't track down somebody saying his name to try to confirm. Um, but uh, former four-star. Offensive lineman was at Texas, transfers and lands at Tennessee. I honestly think this is huge because I think he was projected to, I think I saw he was projected to be Texas's starting right tackle next year. And so this may be the Darnell Wright replacement, potentially. I got to think that's probably what they're thinking here, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the case. Uh, he's He's the right size to play right tackle. Uh, one of the Texas insiders told 24 seven sports that he's always thought right tackle was the best spot for him. So it seems like a, you know, a match made in heaven, right? You're losing Darnell Wright to the NFL. You bring in a guy with experience. Offensive line is one of those positions where if you got the size uh, and strength, you can be developed, you can be coached up. Glenn Ellerby has proven to be already one of the best offensive line coaches in the sec with the job that he's done since coming to Tennessee. So it does seem like a really nice pickup. I think it puts Tennessee out of the running for the Rhode Island uh, offensive lineman that was supposed to announce his decision on Wednesday. That Cornelius uh, kid was one of the higher-rated FCS uh, offensive linemen in the portal. Down to Tennessee, Ohio State, and Oregon. Kind of think he probably ends up at Ohio State now because Tennessee getting uh, carried here. I was trying to look to see his history. Um, Carrick's history at Texas, third year offensive lineman who played in 14 games with two starts, earned academic all Big 12 honors for the first team in 2021, made his debut versus UTEP in 2020. Um, he's an line. athletic kid that it seems like Texas kind of wanted a little more size as as opposed to athleticism there, so they kind of viewed him more as maybe a tight end, maybe where Tennessee probably views him as a tackle. We shall see. Uh, I guess Tennessee, I wouldn't call that a super position of need. I think on offensive line, I don't want to say you're set because you're losing your best offensive lineman during this offseason. But what's coming, you're, you're keeping Cooper Mays and your left tackle spot. I mean, I assume it's just going to continue to be Crawford and Mincy, right? And, yeah, and you got Dane Davis kind of in the mix there too. Yeah. I so yeah, not set and the help is certainly I think needed. you definitely need a right tackle. Yes. Uh but I I'll put it this way, it's not as dire as some of the defensive positions, maybe, which is not saying a whole lot because those are I mean, some of those are just straight up emergency situations where I you think just kind of one of the uh, underrated needs right now is at linebacker because you're possibly you're yeah. probably losing Jeremy Bates, Jawan Mitchell. You know, it seems like he might not be back. It's kind of up in the air. 
you're looking at just having really Aaron Beasley back as a guy that you know you can count on. I mean, you got guys with potential, but that's like the one guy that you can count on. You need you need to get a portal guy. I think I think the guy from Virginia would be a fantastic addition. Uh, Nick Jackson, all SC, all ACC player. If you can land him, that's probably going to be an NIL deal though that you got to you got to make happen because he led Virginia in tackles for I think three straight seasons. He's going to be looking to get paid. But you need that. I mean, you definitely need a linebacker. So that's that's kind of an underrated position to need, I feel like. Uh, yeah. Anywhere on that that defense, I mean, just name it. Tennessee. I mean, obviously the secondary, but secondary is kind of tricky because your really good defensive backs aren't probably in the portal. You got guys that have been second string looking for a place to play, and they might just be the same talent levels what Tennessee has I think that's why you haven't seen Tennessee run out there and just take a, a DB just for the sake of taking one everybody wants them to get one but they got to be a lot better than what you have uh, if you're just taking a guy that's the same as what you have you're not really you know you're not really gaining yeah. anything the best way to build your secondary is through recruiting through signing guys and developing them and having them step up and play I, I think that's a hard position to address in the portal I mean, Dan, Danny in the comments, he says, defense has to take a step next year. I can't see us scoring 50 a game and outscoring everyone with Milton, at least for now. I, I mean, we kind of hit on that last week. I think you're exactly right, Danny. Like, that is really going to be imperative because I think you are almost, no matter what, taking some amount of a step back at quarterback. I mean, you're going from a guy who, if he played the entire season, may have won the Heisman to somebody else. I mean, you're just like, you're going from one of the best quarterbacks in America to just another quarterback. And that's, I think, uh, by nature, almost anyone could be a step back. So, uh, yeah, lots, lots of positions of need there, but uh, I think a big pickup that right tackle position, obviously extremely important. Darnell Wright was so good. Mm -hmm. One of the most underrated players in the country. I think. Oh man. Yeah. And, And, and I think whatever NFL team ends up picking him up, I, I don't know that they'll get a sort of like Trey Smith type of value, but I think he's an under the radar guy that somebody's gonna gonna be glad they picked up in the NFL draft. I'll, I'll put it that way. And let me just say, uh, hey, whoever at the Titans, I mean, we don't know who it's going to be at this point. Maybe you could draft Darnell Wright and actually have some offensive linemen that do things uh, instead of Dennis Daly, who just let's guys blow by him <laughs> every down uh anyway my tortured titans fan rant of the week there uh but with uh with any of the the transfers recruiting anything else zach that that we need to hit on i think it was fairly quiet outside of that it, it seemed like pretty for the most part uh hasn't you know been a ton of movement on in the portal yet it's been kind of a slow burn it seems like been been kind of surprised that I haven't heard anything about Jimmy Holiday or, or Jimmy Callaway. I was just looking yesterday. I haven't really heard anything about their potential destinations. You think maybe you you USF down there with Alex Golish would make a lot of sense, but you know yeah. we'll see where they end up. It seems like a lot of those guys, a lot of the higher profile dudes, you're not going to hear where. And not that I don't think Jimmy Holiday or they're they're not in that high profile set really, but like the. Who's the kid out of Oregon? Uh, Thornton. Um, oh yeah, guy like that. It seems like they're going to be into next year. 
uh, where you're probably, you won't hear about a commitment from them until then they're taking visits. The kid from Mississippi state too, Thomas. Rara, I mean, Thomas. If you think about it, if you're one of those guys, you can kind of take the baseball free agency approach or what we used to see in baseball free agency, where they wait until like February to sign, uh, because the, the less players there are, the more need there is, the more NIL money you can get. Right. So if you wait until, so I think the portal closes what January fifteenth, yeah, I believe, okay. and then it opens again at some point in May. So if you don't sign by January, then you gotta wait till May. Well, you know the downside is is you're not in spring practice at that point, so you kind of you're not you're behind the you're behind the curve there when it comes to learning your new offense. But there's more of a demand too because there's less players available, and you can maximize your nil value. So it, I mean that's kind of the dance that those guys have to to choose to participate in on this kind of goes to that point. Danny says, I think the portal, yeah. do we think the portal will pick up after the bowl games? I do probably I, both I, ways. You probably see some guys. Yeah. I, I imagine Tennessee will have a couple more guys leave. I don't think you'll be anybody high profile, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see some other guys leave after the bowl game. And then, yeah, that, in that May spot, I think that that's where I worry about a Taven Jackson. Mm-hmm. Like that, oh, that's usually where the quarterbacks, I mean, I think that's when, uh, yeah, I think that's when Brian Kelly went after Jaden Daniels might have been after spring practice. And he's like, oh, I need another guy. You know, that's what happens. And I, I do kind of wonder if they, if Heupel and the staff, they slow roll it now with any quarterback. They see how Milton does even all the way through spring practice. You see who's available. Because I think wasn't Milton a pickup? I don't remember when he committed to Heupel. Um, but I think it was in that it would basically have to be in that time slot because Hypo is hired in January 21, right? And mm-hmm. so it would have to be somewhere in that. He enrolled in June of 2021. So okay, he committed at the end of spring practice, looks like. So yeah, basically, Hypo went through spring practice. It's like, yeah, we need some more guys. Yeah, I wonder if that's that when was back t- when it was Hinden Hooker, Brian Maurer, Harrison Bailey. Yeah, if, if Jackson leaves and then they track down a, a grad transfer or something like that or, or i mean if you I, I think people have kind of dreamed about this one we've even mentioned it on the show i think you might have written about it on on a to z zach but hartman at uh wake forest where he's going through nfl and they're not really sure if he's gonna end up being a an nfl dude this year could use another year and then maybe he drops his name in the portal and, and as a grad transfer and um, a guy like that might be available. And I mean, it's tough to think of somebody that might be a better fit than a dude like that at Tennessee. Man. To, like I said, that's kind of, people been dreaming about yeah, that one. But. You're going to have to outbid Florida for any quarterback that wants to come to the sec, because <laughs> if you watch, if you watch them this Woo. weekend, like they, and they need somebody and Billy oh Napier is kind of already under fire a little bit, which I don't think is totally fair because you made the jump to the SEC. He gets Florida to a bowl game in the first year, which obviously the standard at Florida is a lot higher. But, you know, they struggled at times. They had a good start beating Utah, and then they lost to Vanderbilt, lost some other games that you didn't really expect them to lose. And then they get blown out in the bowl game, which obviously, like, it doesn't, like, that's not an indication of what Florida is going to be next year. But you, losing 30 to three in the bowl game is not a good look <laughs> at all. They sucked in a way that I was like unprepared for. They were a 10 point underdog coming into that game. And I was like, yeah, that's probably about right. I, I would expect like a, if Oregon State 
scored 30, I would expect 20 out of Florida. And they were just the most impotent, pathetic. I mean, it was like watching the Tennessee Titans offense out there. Like, except somehow maybe worse. It's hard to get worse, but I they might have been worse. <laughs> Did you see the clip of the the edge rusher, the defensive end for Florida, just like barely going through the motions and not even like showing any effort to get after the quarterback on that one play? No. It was a clip that went around Twitter. Oof. He barely like even moved. And it was like ten. It was a ten to nothing game at the time, so it's not like it was at the end of the game and it's thirty to nothing, nothing like that. It's early in the game, and he. It, it was a pretty shocking lack of effort, and you don't want to make some, you know, sweeping statement about Florida based on that one moment. But if you're if you if that would have been like the Jeremy Pruitt era, and you would have seen a Tennessee player doing that, like Vols fans would have been losing their minds, and, and yeah. I think. Rightfully so, because effort's the one thing that's like you can control that, and that does come down to culture and coaching. And obviously, you got to have some personal responsibility there as well. But you would think by the end of the season, you'd have weeded some of that stuff out, changed some mindsets. So that was, if you're a Florida fan, I think that's something that concerns you. I don't think it's a reason to like be out on Billy Napier or anything like that, but I think it's something worth watching. Like, all right, what's going on down there? Really, is the culture right? Is Napier got a hold of this thing? Is it? Is he gonna? Is he gonna make it or not? It's it's still too early to tell. But there's been some kind of red flags for him down there this year. It seems like <laughs> Billy in the comments yeah. says, "I loved it." <laughs> I I mean, I will say, I didn't see that clip, but I I did watch a pretty decent chunk of that game. Um, it does make my my heart raced a little bit thinking about how much Florida sucks right now. And that Tennessee just had a 10 and two season, because here's the thing that you have to think if you're, if you're hypo and you understand the gravitas of the history with Florida, you know, and I'm sure he does. You've lost whatever it was 16, the last 17 or whatever crap ass stat it was going into that game <laughs> this season. Um, you have a chance here to like jump on them and and be cemented at worst at number two in the sec east like this is the golden opportunity yeah. here nobody else i mean i florida you know, hasn't been that good since urban meyer left but tennessee was worse so they kind of kept florida floating above them and florida's recruiting because of that never really took a major major hit like they were always recruiting pretty well and always had a decent amount of talent so this is the chance. And, and even South Carolina being a little bit better helps there a little bit as well. Uh, but especially with Georgia doing what they're doing. LSU recruits some of the same players too, or Florida, they kind of cross over a little bit. It really is setting up where if, if they have another kind of tough year next year, they could go through some really, really rough times because Billy Napier was a coach that when Tennessee was looking for somebody, when Pruitt was – fired we talked about him a decent amount i remember us being very much on the fence about him it's like okay he's done well at louisiana but what does that mean how does that translate to the sec he's still a lot of unknowns there with him it was another kind of niche saving tree hire which i think all tennessee fans were kind of out on those guys after Dooley and pruitt understandably so so they could you know if, if napier doesn't work out you've already fired dan molin after he won a the SEC East, basically two years after he won the SEC East or a year after he won it. Who, who's going to want to take that job knowing that if you don't win a national championship, you're out the door pretty much? Their their whole thing, I think Urban gave them some very skewed expectations. Mm -hmm. 
where they suddenly went, we're a powerhouse. And then you're beating Tennessee, like your main rival constantly. The, the only people that are besting you on any regular basis, like LSU, you know, another just total powerhouse program. And that sort of, I think that like got in their mind and they're, I, I we said it this off season, I think I have to go back and look, but we were sort of like, this could be Florida's Butch Jones where it like, really explodes on them at the end of this whole thing if they're not careful um even if he does have a couple seasons where he wins eight games or something like that like it it, i i just think that their their expectations are way out of whack and they think that there's no way that they're gonna have this catastrophic situation happen and boy i I mean and as like i said as a tennessee fan watching this happen i mean it kind of like it makes my heart race to think like this is this is a situation where you jump on Florida and step on their neck and and you go we're back to this no more no more to Florida uh, and I think this upcoming season winning in the swamp would be a massive step mm-hmm. towards that you have to take advantage of that situation if Tennessee comes into that game significantly more talented and and ready than Florida um, like there there's a real opportunity here to be had kind, kind of how it's, the one that I go back to that has happened recently with Tennessee is, is Barnes on, uh, on Kentucky. I mean, he just has found a way to have John Calipari's number all the time in basketball, man, if you could get back there with Florida and, and just quit with all this nonsense, Oh man, was, that would be nice. I'll say the one thing about Napier, you know, I, I don't have a good read on him yet as a coach because it's just been one year. But from the outside looking in, the one thing I feel that I do know about him is it seems like he's very set in his process, kind of that Nick Saban buzzword, the process. And he seems very committed to that and thinking that it's kind of infallible. Like he hasn't said that, but just the way his delivery and the way he talks about things, it's kind of like, this is what we're going to do and it's going to work. Just trust me, believe me. And he kind of seems unwilling to evolve from his vision. And that like, you don't know what you're getting into until you're in the SEC. So you got to be willing to evolve and adapt and change kind of your approach a little bit and find out what works because obviously what works for Nick Saban, not necessarily going to work for everybody else. We've seen that way too many times now. I mean, you, you look at the Mike Leach coaching tree. This, everybody was kind of tweeting it out mm-hmm. uh, this past week. Cause unfortunately, unfortunately he passed away. So tragic. I mean, God, I don't even. I don't even want to think about it. I, I actually, yeah, it messed me. Yeah, up I think. So I sad. think that the shock of it is kind of wearing off now, and now the reality of it, like, wow, he's he's not yeah. around anymore. Is is kind of setting in now, and it is tragic. And now going back and watching those clips after it's been, you know, several days, is it's even tougher, kind of watching that stuff, knowing that you don't you don't get that anymore. His family, know. you know, it, it is tough. Really, really just profoundly sad uh, having him pass away. But people were tweeting out pictures of his coaching tree. Heupel is in there Um, more more or less. I don't he never coached under Leach, but he played under Leach um, at Oklahoma. And there was a great clip that came out of Leach's final day at Oklahoma. And he was he was crying as he talked to Josh Heupel and and said goodbye. Very cool clip that came out. yeah, I think Josh Heupel is a big reason why he was able to get the head coaching job at Texas Tech, too. Yes, he absolutely. That's that's the case. Um, but uh, it it's you, you juxtapose that against Saban's 
coaching tree, Leeches is better. Yeah. And like, if you if you just see anything that is more proof of like Leach has this signature offensive style that has lifted up guys, inspired guys, and they, he has some really great coaches um, that that have come out of his tree. And then with Saban, he has this tyrannical way. He does it amazingly, obviously. But it seems like it, it has not translated over to almost anybody other than Kirby. And that's... I think part of that's because Leach was very... You know, he had his system, but he was open-minded to stuff, and he was inquisitive, and he was always asking questions, and he always wanted to know a better way to do it. So those guys that came from that coaching tree, they don't necessarily run the exact same offense as Leach. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities, but, you know, Heupel's is is very different. Heupel's, Heupel runs the ball a lot more than Mike Leach. But you look at Lincoln Riley, who came from that system. Very and his, and his But his system's evolved from, from what Leach ran uh, at, at Texas Tech when, when Lincoln Riley was around. And I think that that mindset seeps into those guys, and they understand that you have to evolve to be successful in college football. Like we've talked about before, even Nick Saban has evolved. Nick, Alabama now is not what Alabama was in, in 2015 or 2010. I mean, he's continued to evolve with college football, even when he didn't like the changes. He Well, at first he tried to change the rules, so Auburn couldn't <laughs> go fast. And then he adapted. Uh, and so it seems like those guys that come from Saban, they don't get the adapting and evolving part. They just see yeah. kind of his his demeanor, his attitude. And when you've got the rings, you can flash. You can kind of do that. You can't do that when you're Billy Napier and you've you just came from Louisiana and nobody in Florida really knows anything about you. You know, you got to prove yourself. But it's it's that evolution. I mean, I know it's kind of cliche to talk about, but that really is what to me makes a really successful coach and and it could possibly be you know down the road maybe something that Kirby Smart runs into where he hasn't really had to adapt or evolve yet and, I, and I'm not going to say that he's going to have trouble with that but I think it is something to watch like when the talent catches up to Georgia when other teams are able to to catch up to them via the transfer portal and they are able to recruit better because the NIL will Kirby Smart system that he uses now still work at that point well here's hoping that it doesn't <laughs> and that Napier's time at Florida is a total crash and burn. Um, that's and well, and not only that, but that Tennessee totally takes advantage of the situation because that's been a long time coming, and the opportunity is back. You blew it before; it's time to actually take advantage. So there is that. But let's, as far as football talk goes, let's finish with this. Um, another interesting tidbit from the week: Taven Jackson. Back at practice this week, and uh, I I tweeted about this. Um, this is an interesting development because potentially it could change the way that Hypel calls this game for Milton. Um, if Taven Jackson is a legitimate option, he got his collarbone smashed earlier in the season. Supposedly, they never actually confirmed that from the team, but that was what I did. You hear anything different than that? That's what I I think was the assumption, maybe. But yeah, no, I never heard it. I wa- I mean, I watched it happen. It happened right in front of me. I was, I was yeah. at that game and was down on the field, kind of waiting for the post game stuff after that. And all of a sudden, he's you know down and not looking good. That's UT Martin. You hate to see that happen to your at that time third string quarterback. They, I don't think they ever actually did confirm that it was they a, didn't that it was broken, but but it whatever it was that that's the area in which it was injured. And I think even if it was a broken collarbone, 
this is about right time-wise for getting two months basically yeah getting back from that injury it's not an acl that takes you six months to get back from even if it is a pretty serious injury um and so having him back as an option to me is exciting because you could see in that vandy game they took milton and basically just shut him down when it became apparent that tennessee was going to win they didn't even really let him pass the ball much less run um and so they didn't open up the playbook in any way at all very purposefully they protected milton's body they didn't let him run because in previous games he had run some and he's gotten more aggressive as a Mm -hmm. runner he's bowling people over because he's massive um and you kind of looked and before that vandy game we were like oh man i hope that they run him and they let him go because he'll dude he'll freaking knock some heads in and they did none of that and so i hope now they have an actual backup for him and that this opens up the playbook for milton where they let him run. That's a part of the offense. They let him uh, be just, uh, I guess you would say, more creative when a play breaks down. And uh, I I hope that's what this means. I hope it doesn't mean, I think somebody even said this in the comments, uh, that they they wondered if Taven Jackson might come in and ball out and that changes the offense. Uh, I hope it doesn't mean that because if Taven Jackson comes in, it means one of two things. Milton is hurt or Milton has sucked big time. And I don't want either of those things to happen because it could mean that Tennessee's up like 35 to nothing. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. You got to manifest that. Yes. Okay. That's, that's what it'll mean when, when Taven Jackson comes in, (laughs) it will be because Tennessee's blowing Clemson out of the building. Uh, it does, but, it, it does also give Tennessee a small advantage over Clemson because, look, you're one, you're one snap away from needing your backup quarterback. And if yeah. Taven's not healthy, you know, it's Gaston Moore, it, it's Navy Shuler, it's not, it's not a scholarship quarterback that you're, that you're putting in there. Taven's healthy. It's a guy that was a four-star quarterback that's been in the offense since last spring. We haven't seen him a lot, but he would be a pretty decent option on the offense. Clemson has a former five-star quarterback as their backup, but it's not, he hasn't played like a five-star. He's not, I mean, he was he was not rated correctly. And uh, Hunter Johnson, who's completed uh, six passes this year for 10 yards, that's not, it's not exactly what you're looking for. I mean, with uh, with DJ gone and Kate Klubnick elevated to the starter, I mean, this is their primary backup now. And he's a guy that was, I forgot about this, and you mentioned it. He was committed to Tennessee at one point way back in 2015, back when the world was a much, much different place. A couple of presidents ago. The administration was still in the White House. There was no pandemics, and it was a much different (laughs) world at that time. Um, Committed to Tennessee, decommitted, ended up at, at Clemson, spent a year at Clemson, transferred, set out a year, went to Northwestern, for three years, didn't really do anything at Northwestern. I think, let's see, hundred or 432 passing yards one year, 424 passing yards in 2021. Transfers back to Clemson, wants to be a GA, has another year of eligibility. So he, you know, he rejoins the team and here he is. He's, he's the backup quarterback. So you got to think if, if it comes down to backup quarterbacks, obviously that's something very hard to predict, but you would think Tennessee has the advantage there since Hunter Johnson is, is basically proven to be a, a complete bust here. Yes, I, th- I think it was uh, John Hall. Yeah, John. oh, sorry, John Hill in the comments 
he asks, who do you think has the advantage of QB for the bowl game? We said we were going to talk about this. Here it is. Uh, Man, that's tough. That It is really tough because we've mentioned it before. You haven't seen Milton completely unleashed. There hasn't been a game where he has come in and been given complete control of this offense and just been told, let's go. And, and in I, a meaningful moment, too. And, yes, because the, the the only game he's played in full is the the Vandy game and the, the uh, Bowling Green game. There right. were two whole different seasons so far apart in terms of his experience level in this offense. And so uh, Klubnik, in the same way, I mean, he still has not played an entire game as the quarterback at Clemson, but he looked good against North Carolina. Now, North Carolina has one of the worst defenses in America this year, and so it's not saying a ton. They, they are one of the, I think, I would have to confirm this, I think they were one of the only defenses in America that had a worse pass defense than Tennessee. So, you know, there's that. But uh, I think... I think it really comes down to, and this has been true for Tennessee all season long. Can the defensive line get pressure on this quarterback? Yeah. Because I think otherwise, it almost doesn't even matter to me that Klubnik doesn't have experience. If you give these guys the throws that Tennessee's defensive backs have given up this season, he's going to throw all over you. I mean, you look, you look back at the Florida game, at the Alabama game, at the South Carolina game, where these guys were just standing with no one within five yards of them, all of this space given up and or bad angles going for tackles or what, you know, bad angles on playing the ball in the air, whatever it might be. These defensive backs just can't do it. And so the defensive line has to be the hero here and, and get to club it because I, I go like, it almost doesn't even matter. Like I, I feel like a, a pretty not great three star could go in and throw all over the, these defensive backs in certain situations. So, um, yeah, to me, there's, there's zero reason to like drop and play zone coverage and try to like keep everything in front of you. Because like you said, Tennessee hasn't been able to stop that. If you give him time, he'll find the soft spot in the zone. They'll exploit it and they'll, they'll, they'll throw all over Tennessee. So I think you play man coverage and you blitz him, and you bring pressure consistently. He's a true freshman. He's from Texas. He played in some big games in Texas high school, you know, playoffs and stuff down there. Those are big crowds you get. Like, he's been exposed to pressure, so I don't think uh, the moment will be too big for him, even as a true freshman. He's he's almost like a sophomore now anyway. He's been through an entire season. He's played a little bit, playing the ACC championship game, and that's a pretty, pretty big moment. You know, they're playing for a New Year's Six Bowl. That game was very important to them. But we have seen him a little bit this year in some limited action struggle against pressure. I mean, there's a the Notre Dame game. He threw a pretty bad interception when he had pressure in his face. So you can get to him and, and cause some bad decisions, but only if you get to him. So I don't I don't see any benefit in sitting back and trying to confuse him with kind of his own coverage and hoping that he doesn't see, you know, a linebacker in the passing lane or something. I don't think Tennessee's secondary is good enough to play that type of defense and be successful. So I think you kind of you roll the dice and maybe you get beat on a big play or two. And Tennessee can withstand that. If if their offense is rolling, they can withstand that. We saw them withstand it several times this year. I mean, Pittsburgh had a 75-yard run in that game uh, that they gave up. There were some big plays out, you know, against Alabama, uh, and they were able to withstand that. So they can – obviously, you don't want to, but 
if it happens, your offense, even with Milton, is good enough. The threat of the big play is there that you can get it back. So I think it's worth it to to roll the dice and just bring pressure consistently. I mean, bring it from different angles, different looks, mix it up, of course. But you got to get guys on him. So bring the extra guys. If your secondary is going to be giving up big plays anyway, you might as well try to limit the amount of time that that the receivers have to get down the field, and get open. Yeah, I mean, you just got to pin your ears back. I I think it just seems like it's the only thing that has worked for this defense in any consistent way. All season. I don't know why they ever go away from it. I mean, I, I, I I'm not. I'm not like totally out on Tim Banks because I know the personnel that he's had has not been probably what he wants to be able to run his system or what he wants his system to be. He's he's had to adapt to his talent level, but there's still like the South Carolina game and and other games. The it just his approach it didn't make sense. And then other games it was great, like the Kentucky game. I mean, he defended Will Levis perfectly. I mean, they yep. did everything perfectly that game. Executed great calls. Uh, the LSU game, great, great calls. Uh, and then I said Alabama game was more just Bryce Young being Bryce Young, I think. South Carolina game, early parts of the Missouri game, it's like, what, what is Tennessee doing? What is Tim Banks calling here? So I don't know why they ever go away from, from the pressure packages. I do stand corrected, though. I did look it up. Tennessee finished the regular season at number 127 in pass mm, defense. Out of what, in- 131? Out of 131, only four teams worse. One of those is Vandy, <laughs> somehow. Uh, North Carolina is 121, so a few slots ahead of Tennessee. Uh, my apologies, North Carolina. Um, but regardless, <laughs> makes it even funnier. Did you hear Tate Klubnick's comments about Tennessee's defense last week? I don't think so. And of course, he was very diplomatic and praised the defense and praised Tennessee's defense. But he called them a top 40 defense and. I couldn't find any metric where they were top 40. I think they were 44 or 45 in scoring defense, which is not what a lot of people go by. I mean, I like I like to go by it because that's that's the name of the game, points. How many points did you give up? But most people prefer to go by yardage, total yards, all that kind of stuff and you know, obviously they were way way down the list. So I don't know I don't know what metric he was using, but he, he seemed, he's trying to trying to build Tennessee's defense up as being a juggernaut type type deal here. Yeah, be so that when he throws for 400 yards, he'd be like, I threw it for 400 yards against one of the best defenses in America. Look at that. It's the thing with sports, man. Pete, you can just throw out numbers, and there's so many different websites and ways of tracking this and, and ranking things that nobody can really check it. So you can just say kind of whatever. It's like <laughs> it's like the Butch Jones clip last week where he's talking about going 19 and three before his last year at Tennessee. So like there's not a single stretch that he ever went 19 and three at Tennessee, but people at Arkansas State are just like, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why did I can't believe they fired you? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think to to wrap that up, I hope Tennessee has the quarterback advantage, but it's it's just murky, man. I you don't know genuinely you don't know what Milton is going to look like with the entire force of this offense behind him and then just the outliers of it's squirrel instead of Jalen Hyatt Brew McCoy is going to be your number one guy I like who I don't, who knows what that looks like uh because it could kind of go a lot of different ways and hopefully it goes a good way for Tennessee yeah See, talking about if Milton isn't the guy and Jackson is a bust do you start a true freshman in Nico or do you go out and get a veteran 
quarterback that's proven. Well, I don't. I don't think you're going to find out if Jackson's a bust that soon until you actually see him play. I think if Milton has a, like a really bad game against Clemson, you're probably going to see Tennessee looking for a quarterback pretty hard in the portal. But I think he's going to have to look pretty bad for that to happen because these guys in the portal, they're going to want to start. And, and they know they're not going to get like a guarantee that they're going to earn win the starting job. Not many programs are going to do that, at least not many that have established coaches and established cultures because that stuff can come back on you really fast. So it, it's going to be tough to bring a guy in uh, that that has any sort of talent that's capable of starting in the SEC because they're going to see Milton there. They know Nico's th- like the guy. They know Taven could be a threat. So I think it's a really tricky situation for Tennessee to be in when it comes to pursuing a, a quarterback. Obviously, Jonathan Crompton was on with us a couple weeks ago, former Tennessee quarterback, and he thinks they should get a, a transfer quarterback regardless of what happens in the bowl game. I would go if he is a quote-unquote bust, like you just are sure he's just not going to do it. I mean, you have to just go with the transfer. You just have to, I think. Um I, and I'm kind of with Crump, I must go no matter what, to transfer just if nothing else to bring in competition, even if it's not some some top-end guy like Hartman from Wake Forest, just somebody to push that room a little bit. Like I mean, and you look, the guy that just was almost a Heisman finalist for you was a total no-name transfer coming yeah. in. I mean, nobody thought he was going to do anything. He had done nothing at Virginia Tech, and then Hinden Hooker is the best quarterback in America for a whole chunk of the season this year. So, Danny brings up a really good point here, too, and it's something we kind of alluded to earlier. Now, I feel like it would be tough for a transfer and they complete, and for them to completely get Tennessee's fast offensive style. Yeah, that's what we sure. talked about when Joe Milton was first starter in 2021 is he hadn't been in the offense that long. So it is kind of a hard deal for like a one-and-done quarterback to walk into especially if you don't come in until after spring practice and that's really hard to grasp everything that Tennessee does in just a couple of months I'm not or, saying it can't be done I mean sure it's, it can certainly be done I mean Hendon Hooker got better as the season went along in 2021 and seemed to pick up on everything fairly quickly but you can't assume that every quarterback has the same ability to do that that Hendon Hooker had that's it's part of what made Hooker special was his ability to process what was happening on the field so quickly and perfectly run Heupel's offense. Yeah. It, it would have to be, at best, it would have to be somebody that's a pretty like cerebral mm-hmm. quarterback. A, a guy who's already a like a tape hound. A, a guy that just is studying and studying the game. Uh, and I don't know who that would be. I mean, I don't I, I don't know the the off the field habits of these guys. Yeah. Uh, That's hard to go down just a list of like stats and pick out who would be a good fit for Tennessee. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I think about Hartman specifically, and the kid from NC State was similar. Is like pretty good runner, really nice finesse ball. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the offense that they run. And you have just those two things, and you go, okay, if we could teach this kid how to run this fast paced offense. Those are the two things you need. I mean, the legs give you a huge advantage. The arm, if you can you can make the passes that need to be made, that's a huge advantage. And then you go from there in terms of learning how to run it. Uh, but, you know, we'll we'll see. My, my prediction is that if they do, it's going to be in that after spring ball. 
period if Taven Jackson leaves. That's my own personal prediction. It may come sooner. They may they may have somebody they've been talking to and they want to get set up with. But uh, I I think it'll be Jackson falls off in spring ball transfers. They go after somebody. Something like that will have to happen for them to bring in a, a transfer QB. Just my personal feeling on the situation. Obviously, <laughs> anything could happen. Uh but as far as football goes, before we move to basketball to finish this episode, Zach, anything we might have missed? I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, I said not not a lot happened this past week, just for the fact that you know there haven't hasn't been a lot of media availability, a lot of a lot of back and forth between Clemson, Tennessee. No no trash talk between the two programs so far. In fact, all the press conferences I've watched of Clemson's, they've barely even asked them about Tennessee, which is kind of odd to think about maybe next week with it actually being the game week that'll change a little bit because well, i'd be interested to see what Dabo says because as much as he's kind of sucked up to tennessee a little bit after his flipping burgers comments uh he's still got that in him where he makes these little snide passive aggressive comments he even made it about his own player uh miles murphy that opted out where he kind of said you know you got to agree to disagree but you still you still love them and it's like boy the dude's going to the NFL, you know, to, to take care of himself and his family. Like, you got to support that if you're Dabo. You, you just have to. And in his his own way, he still was like, yeah, I love him, but he still wanted to make it, like, known, hey, I don't like that he's doing this. God, Dabo's just the worst. Uh, yes. Um, I do kind of get the feeling that Clemson fans, fans, I don't know how the team feels, but the fans think they're going to walk in and, like, beat Tennessee's head in. I, I really think I think they're they're they are assuming it's going to be the North Carolina game again, where they're like, "Well, North Carolina and they had the great quarterback, but we have our defense, and we're going to," you know. And I I've just seen they've commented on some of our YouTube videos too, and they've been like, "Oh, Joe Milton will be your excuse when Clemson beats you by 40. I'm like, ah, not sure I'd be so quick to think that, especially if Milton picks the offense up the way that Tennessee needs him to, you know. Yeah, Clemson could have it, lost several games this year, too. I mean, I know yeah. Tennessee and the Alabama game was close and Pittsburgh game, and people have suggested, like, Tennessee could have easily went 8-4. and four. I mean, that's true of a lot of programs. Everybody plays close games every year. Even Georgia played a couple of games that were closer than expected this year. Uh, but but Clemson almost lost to Wake Forest. Uh, they had some moments where they did not – they really should have lost to Wake Forest. They had some moments where they didn't look too hot. So, I, I don't – I think Clemson fans probably have a little bit of a big head because of what's happened in the past there. And they don't quite have the same talent as those championship teams that we no. saw a few years ago. They specifically the wide receiver position. They they've really been a one of the sort of wide receiver you places, and they do not have that right now. Uh so we shall see. We'll preview that game next week. I'll I'll leave. <laughs> Yeah. I'll leave that as a preview for, for next week. Again, it's going to be Tuesday. Wide receivers um, will be fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Yeah, the the offenses the offenses in this game in, in general are, to me, the most compelling topic out of the whole thing. Obviously, I think that's going to be true for most people. But that will be next Tuesday. Uh, again, day after Christmas Day is next Monday, so we're going to flip it over to the the Tuesday I even had I forgot that I had this set up for when I was gonna say that for when I was gonna announce that we're not having the show next Monday it's gonna be next Tuesday I was gonna play this clip where I would go I know I know if you want it on Monday that's 
that's too bad. But here's the thing. I'm not going to. So quit asking. <laughs> I had that set and I forgot to use it. So I had to bring it back around there. Uh, Tennessee basketball to finish this episode. We'll make it uh, quick, maybe. Maybe, probably not. Uh, they drop the game to Arizona in the super late. The game started at 1030 on Saturday night. Um, this game was tough because it felt like Tennessee was going to steal it at the end there, and just the shots did not fall. They, they were fighting the home crowd. They were fighting an extremely good Arizona team, and then they were fighting an extremely good Arizona team that was also getting a home whistle from the refs. Uh, as far as the refs go, I mean, you got a really favorable whistle last year in Thompson Bowling Arena, and so I can't—I I don't want to say it's tit for tat. The refs should call the game correctly. You know, that would be the best thing. And the fact that they don't is just such an annoying part of college basketball, but. It is what it is. I, I love the sport regardless. Uh, but they, they were getting every call. I mean, especially at the end there where just one of the most egregious missed calls you will ever see uh, right at the end of that game that would have made a big difference. But neither here nor there. Even with that bad officiating, Tennessee had some wide open shots that would have won them this game, and they missed them all. Uh, in those late moments in that game. And so I the the refs sucked in that game, but I still walk away and go, you don't have a whole lot else to blame but yourself in this one because you're, the shots were there and you didn't hit them. Um, so with that said, I also don't, I'm not taking this one hard. You lost to one of the best teams in America on their home floor while they were getting a, a home whistle. I, you know, I, I don't think that anybody's writing this team off at this point. But that's it's a frustrating loss while I also walk away and go, eh, it is what it is. Let's get to conference play and win those games, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't obviously you want to win. You want to win every game. There are no moral victories in sports, uh, especially college sports. Like you said, it, it's a away game. You're playing a really good team on the road. It's a late game, uh regardless of where, you know, how early Tennessee went out there their bodies still think it's 1030 while Arizona thinks it's 730. Like that is a factor and it's not an excuse. It's just life. And you got to overcome that and win the game. I mean, Arizona had to deal with it last year and they weren't able to get it done on the road, tough environment, really good team. There'll be a threat to make the final four. The officials, obviously a lot of missed calls, definitely one-sided. If you put neutral court officials making everything down the middle, you know, Tennessee probably wins the game. So I don't I don't think that there's much you can be upset about. I don't I don't get too high or too low with any college basketball win or loss. I mean, even when you win, you know, you beat Kansas, it's not it's not a, uh, okay, this team's going to the final four. But then you lose this game, it's not okay, this team has no chance. Like I, I just look at it, it is what it is. You're still a good team. It's not like you got blown out. You had chances, like you said, to win the game. So it's right there. You just got to play a little bit better next time, and, and maybe the shots fall, and you come away with the win. As long as you're not getting blown out, there's it, not that much to take away from it. I think I think the much bigger storyline coming out of this game is is Rick Barnes and his comments about Uros Plazic after the game. I mean, how yeah. did you feel about that? Because, you know, Barnes has had this reputation for calling out guys 
never been afraid to do it, but it's, it's, it's nothing that he's, he's going to tell you that to your face. I mean, he's going to tell his players to their face before he ever says a word to the media. It's not like he's going out there and just throwing them under the bus and they're like, well, what's that about? Why didn't you talk to me about that? Now they might not like it, but it's, it's not like he's running from it or, or doing it passive aggressively through the media. I mean, he is going to, to, to tell you to your face how he feels. And, uh, it was like mixed reaction from that. I thought most of the reaction was pretty positive because a lot of the fans felt the same way. Then there were a lot of a lot of comments about, you know, that's not the way to handle that. Handle it in private. Don't air it out in the media like that. How, how did you take it? It was pretty classic Rick Barnes stuff. He's done that a lot his entire career. I mean, he just will come in and just be like, we suck today. This guy in particular was bad. We needed to rebound the basketball and he failed at that, you know, and he, He'll just say stuff like that in press mm-hmm. conferences. He's done it the entire time I've covered that team. You know, super blunt when it comes to stuff like that. This one, I think, is... Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to agree. To a point. So Euros obviously goes over the line. I mean, in, in this game, he got a super unnecessary technical foul that was really stupid. And he shouldn't have done that, and it was dumb. Um, he also in games, he'll jaw at guys that he just shouldn't like, he just is, he's a great enforcer out there and he, he's really pretty solid on defense. He could be a better rebounder, but he cannot score the basketball. And you just look at some of these situations he gets himself in and you just go like, look, man, you scored four points tonight and you're John at a guy that just laid 30 on you. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> like it's it was kind of the Kamal Haddon approach. It's, it was, a, it's been a little Kamal Haddon ish at times. Yes. Uh, in Kamal Haddon in that South Carolina game, trying to jaw while that defense is getting their teeth kicked in. Um, thankfully the basketball team doesn't do that all too often. They win most of their games. I think they only lost what six last year or something out of the entire season, but like, his his I, that's what Rick called him. I think he said his antics mm-hmm. here. They get tiresome when they go over the top, but I love them at other times because if if one of his teammates is getting getting pushed around, he'll come to their defense. Yeah, he's he's ready to <laughs> ready to get the fisticuffs. Sometimes it seems like like he's just that guy, and he's seven two. So it's like he, you know, if he comes over to you and and is like, "Hey, let's go," most basketball players are gonna be like, "Oh, okay, no, th- no, thank you, sir." You know, <laughs> so he's good in that role, but he just t- he doesn't know when to stop. Oh, like so, Rick said, it hurts the team, and that's that's yes, the problem. Exactly, he doesn't know when to stop, and and you gotta send a message there. And maybe somehow. that's the only way the message gets through. You know, when you're publicly held accountable like that, maybe that's Rick thinks that's the only way it can happen maybe they've had this conversation a few times before it got to this point i mean that's that's possible too but when it's out there publicly people are seeing it and everybody's seen that video it's 80 some thousand views like everybody knows now like rick called out euros euros i mean you you gotta like you gotta respond yeah otherwise people are gonna be like you know what rich right uh it's, it's getting worse here. It's not getting any better. And then it looks that. even worse on him. And I hope he does respond because Euro has moments that I go like, man, this dude, if he would really set his mind to working on post moves and, and becoming a finesse guy, 
it's right there. I mean, his this his size and everything. I mean, that's why he gets to play is his size. He takes up a ton of space. He has a ton of length, and he he's incredibly helpful on defense. He he fills a need that Tennessee doesn't have anywhere else on their roster, and so. He's great in that way, but he can't score the basketball. If he could score the basketball, he'd be one of the best big men in America. The way that he plays defense, and it, man, it kills me because I want him to see it. I want to see him reach that potential. Um, so hopefully it's it's a wake up call and he'll he'll respond. I think another one of the main things I walk away is at look at what point are we gonna just say say what needs to be said about Josiah James. If this isn't the game that you play in to come back, it, it better be one of two things. Well, well, I don't, it, I don't want to say it like this, but I think you have to like, it better, it better be bad. Like, I don't, I don't, is that bad to say? Like, what is it? What is this injury where he comes in and he'll play against these snoozer teams and give these couple of minutes because it was really frustrating in this Arizona game. They were running this stupid play over and over and over again where uh, Tubelis and the other big man, they would set picks at the top of the key and then roll down to the basket and they would just throw the ball right over the top, catch it, lay the ball up, slam the ball, get a draw a foul, whatever it might be. It just gave them a perfect setup under the basket where we let them get too deep right on the block and they could make a play. And... I, I look at Josiah Jordan James. He's the best defender we have. He's one of the best shooters we have. And I just went, oh, if he was in this game with his length and his basketball IQ, that's the guy that stops this play. And he's not there. And for what? Is this a serious injury? Is it not where he comes in and plays gingerly for a few minutes? But then we hear the reports that it's they don't, they've done scans of the knee and they're not seeing damage, but he's still feeling that he can't play on it. And I just go, Oh, you playing maybe could have been a win against Arizona at Arizona for a top 10 win. You're not in the game. And I don't want to get mad at a kid. He needs to protect himself. He does. And I don't want it to be like, like I I'm probably making it sound here, but I do go like it. Like, let's talk about how serious this knee injury is if it's this serious because you're sitting out of top 10 matchups that are would be incredible resume builders. And there are moments in the game where I go, there's Josiah's spot right there. He would have been the guy to help there, and he's not there. And, I mean, especially in a time where Vescovi with this shoulder or whatever, he's in a big-time slump, and you just think, man, Josiah is the guy that might step up in his stead where when he's struggling or something like that, that, that that's tough. And I, I wonder if they're like saving him for conference play or what, but if we get into conference play here and he's still not playing, I mean, do we need to start talking about like a medical red shirt? Like, what are we talking about here? That it's, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're fair questions for sure. I mean, you think maybe, you're trying to get healthy for March and the tournament and you don't want to push it right now. And and I would understand that, but also like there is no real reason for, for the injury or nobody really is certain what's going on. So you don't know how long it's going to take to get better. or Is he making it worse by trying to play? You don't really know the answer to that. At the same time, 
you can't assume you're going to be in the tournament. I mean, you're sitting at nine and two. Yeah. You're in a good spot, obviously, but you lose, like, go through a stretch, you lose six out of 10 or something. All of a sudden, games start getting a lot more important, and you don't have that win against Arizona in December that maybe if he plays, you do have uh, t- to, to kind of prop that resume up a little bit. So I don't think you can assume that you're just going to be there in March, uh, even though it obviously that should be that shouldn't even be a question this season uh but look, things can get out of hand really really quickly uh especially if injuries start mounting uh so yeah i mean it's a fair question and unfortunately there's just no there's no good answer right now it's just one of those things that we have to watch the rest of the season see how it unfolds and and if he's able to come back and make an impact certainly if he's not you're going to miss his defense in the tournament, and it's hard to imagine Tennessee going very deep in the tournament without him there because that's when you really need him. It it just really stinks because I think coming off of last year, you looked at the way that he played down the stretch, and it looks like a guy who could come back this year and be an All-American. I mean, it was that level of play at times with him, and he came like the last game where he really played full bore against Florida Gulf Coast. I think he had close to 20 points in that game. And so you're seeing him and you're going, dude, we need you, please. (laughs) Where are you? Like, even, even if you are a little hobbled, like, can we get some minutes? And I, if, if he is, if it, if it is serious and he is really not feeling, I obviously completely understand. You have to protect yourself for your future. And, and he's a kid that should definitely have NBA aspirations. Uh, just with how he's he's physically built. But it is, I mean, it's just tough when you look at how good this team is without him. Oh, you could just be that much better with him. And he's and he's a guy that, as I said, before the season, you look and like might have had all American potential. And he's he's sitting out of top 10 games. So it's it's tough to watch. I don't I don't want to put out there that I'm like angry about that. It's just tough to watch and go like we're good without you. Why don't you just come and play and be in the game? And then we could, we could be that much better. Who knows? Um, but end of the day, not a devastating loss. It's not one that's going to hurt you at all. Uh, it's one that would have really helped you at, at that point. You basically have a tournament resume built before you ever even play conference play. Mm-hmm. If you would have won that one. Um, but you, you look at how they played without Josiah Jordan, James, this is a tournament team without him, in, in my opinion, easily. I think oh, they're yeah. without at, a doubt. Without him, they're to me at worst, at worst, like a six seed, probably something like that. Um, because I mean, you, you beat Kansas without him. You you beat Maryland without him. You beat uh, uh some some pretty decent teams uh, without him already. And <laughs> you look at like some of the teams you got to play. Ole Miss, not good. They're early on the schedule. South Carolina's team is absolute garbage they've i'm lost. not i'm not saying anything about any south carolina team at this point well <laughs> I, i'll say it because if if they lose to the south carolina team that's absolutely horrendous i mean i i want to look up some of the games that they've lost i want to say they lost at home to like uab um let, let's see if i can find it i think it was literally this week Okay, it was at UAB. I'll give them that. But they lost by 14 mm. at UAB. Like, not good. Very, very much not good. They And then at home, they, that's what this is what I was thinking of. They lost by 14 to UAB and then lost by 8 on their home floor 
to East Carolina. So <laughs> do not lose. This would be far, honestly, as crazy as it might sound and as painful as that South Carolina game was, losing to South Carolina in basketball would be probably more egregious than losing to them in football, frankly. Oh, yeah. Um, it would be far more of a disparity than there was between Tennessee football uh, and South Carolina football. But um, at Ole Miss, Mississippi State at home, and at South Carolina, Vandy, and then Kentucky at home. So you got, you got a quote-unquote easy sort of ramp into conference play. Uh, before you get to to Kentucky, Mississippi State's good, undefeated. They haven't really played anybody, but they're undefeated. Um, and so I, I I feel good going into the conference slate, even if that loss was frustrating. But can we get an update on Josiah Jordan James or something? Like, what is is he holding himself out the whole can, entirely? Is this doctor doctor recommended? Because man, just missing out on his play right now. When you see. What he may have done for you in that Arizona game, it's tough to watch. If it continues and it's not above board, I'm sure we'll hear Rick Barnes make some sort of comment about it. He's not That's shy about true. that. <laughs> that is probably true. I think um, he's done stuff like that before in the past. Maybe. With, with injuries. Well. By the way, Tennessee did uh, did jump Alabama in the polls today. They, went, they fell to number eight, only two spots. Alabama fell all the way to number nine. After losing to Gonzaga, yeah, that Gonzaga had dropped down to around like twentieth, and then they they lost to Gonzaga like pretty convincingly, like it was like a ten point loss. Yeah, Arkansas um, still at number ten and with only one loss, so that shows you that uh, voters do view Tennessee as a pretty good team despite the two losses. Sent Arkansas lost their one of their best players, not their best player, but one of their best players for the season. Unfortunately, I think he tore his ACL. Uh, but not. I don't think now is the time to get too in the weeds about SEC basketball because I, I don't even think the SEC slate doesn't even start uh, for another... Is it next week? Oh, dang it, I just had it up and I went off of it. Let's see. It starts at Ole Miss on December 28th. So it is before the new year. You play in between Christmas and New Year. Um we will talk about that then next Tuesday when our show is uh, at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Join us back here then. I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. And I'll say this now. Everybody go and have yourself a Merry Christmas. Um, I will do my best. I'm sure Zach will, too, to do the same. Uh, any big plans for Christmas, Zach? You're going you gonna to go to Paris like the McAllisters in Home Alone? I assume you're big time like that. Uh, no, not not this year. We'll uh, be the same tradition as every other year of my life with just family uh, around here. That's about it. That is the same for me. Continuing uh, to see other family and, you know, we, just lots of family. We did have this weird situation. Is is this not kosher, Zach? I'll ask your opinion. So, Allison's sister my wife's sister has to go with her husband's family and won't be there until christmas day late in the day and so christmas day we're gonna go out to lunch to a to eat and i don't think i've ever done that in my life um hmm. is if, when we had to like find a restaurant that would be open but we're yeah, like we're essentially open. killing time until she can get there 
So I was like, should I feel bad that I'm like making people work on Christmas? But also working either way. Exactly. So I don't know if it feels weird because I've never done it, but you know, we'll (laughs) I've never done that either. I have got me if you want to, I guess. I have got food before on Christmas Day, like at a place that was open when there was like a gap in between where I was supposed to be, like a weird gap and you need to eat type deal. Like you saw one family in the morning, you got later in the day. I've done that, but I've never actually sat down and ate in a restaurant on Christmas Day. Neither neither have I. And think Thanksgiving the same way. I never have. So when I when did do it on Thanksgiving in- one time because I used to, I, my grandparents were out of town and we went to see them and it had to drop back. It was a several hour drive and got back uh, kind of later in the day. Just wanted to get something to eat. And I believe there was like a Mexican restaurant or something that was open and we went and, and ate there. Well, this, this one we had to, it's in a hotel since a hotel is like mm. 20, 24, seven, 365. Yeah. It had to be open that day. So that's what say the only other option might be to like buy a ticket and go to the, go to the airport. Cause all that'll be open. I'm sure that's now. Okay. So I have done that. So I, I've flown on Christmas day before. Oh, really? One of the how, how weird, that? weird story. I I've experienced two actual snowy Christmases in my entire life. One of them was in 2020, the first one ever in Knoxville. The other, we flew on Christmas Day to my family's house in Dallas, Texas, and they had a blizzard there. Oh, wow. In Dallas, Texas. One of the only two that I've ever, and it was on Christmas Day. Anywho, I think that's going to be it. Zach, another good show in the books, I think. I think we're losing people here. They're, they're just, <laughs> yeah, I don't care about here. We're, we're just having a friendly plans. conversation. Yeah. Uh, this is what pod. you don't see before and after the show. <laughs> yes, this is literally what, what we do. Yep. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan. This has been the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who is watching. Merry Christmas to one and to all. Enjoy it. We will back be back on Tuesday at 4 p.m. on the 27th uh, to talk about the bowl game. We'll see all y'all. Uh, for that one, come back and join us. And then obviously we'll have game day, the same game day coverage that I have with me and Jonathan Crompton and hopefully special guests and everything. We're getting it all together. Um, at halftime post game of the bowl game. I think that's it. Trevor, Zachary, A to Z sports, big orange podcast. We'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.